Adonai our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth, and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed are you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people, Israel. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has selected us from all the peoples and gave to us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, it's been a while, so uh, we're going to have to do a little review, but fortunately for me, I can save my voice and y'all are going to do the review for me. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away, Revelation 21, 1-4. If you did your homework, it ought to give you chills when you read that. Because you know the culture to which this was written. Because you know every one of those words is very important in that picture. And yet, if you didn't do your homework, or if you have no background at all in this, this just all seems like a really nice Easter play. <laughs> An Easter play. <laughs> really. I'm sure we could have halos and, you know, clouds and, you know, we could do all that and the, and the choir would be singing the Halloween course, which is great. Right? And you'd be going, wow, that's just really inspiring. Instead, this is a little bit more gritty. But it's really more personal. It's not grand and and uh, impersonal or something that you're unacquainted with. This is, if, you've, if you're familiar with this picture, as we're going to see in this lesson, this is like, wow, this is very intimate. This is the most intimate of all relationships being described in these four verses. And all anybody else got was, all right, okay, that's it. So let's go back over the last few lessons. Jewish wedding, Jewish wedding, Jewish wedding, Jewish wedding, Jewish wedding is divided. That's the, that's the Arabic version. Is divided into two parts. What are the two parts? Oh, look at your kiddushin. Kiddushin, nisuin. Kiddushin has a has has both of those are Aramaic words, but what is what are their what are their Semitic cognates. I mean, what is they? What are they talking about? What's kiddushin? Um, like betrothal. Kiddushin is betrothal, but what is the word? The holy sacrifice set apart. Okay, irusin. Do you remember what irusin was? We do. Yeah, it's 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 it's, it's to lift up. It's like it's not it's not it's not the same as as aliyah, but it's kind of similar idea of lifting up. 
what was the name of the portion? Nasa yeah. or Naso? Like with lifting up exactly right. where you're counting. So your head is lifted up. It's how it's how it's how numbers describes the the uh, census. Right. It's such a right. nasty word for Naso. Naso is not just a census. It's a I know you. I know you. I know you. Right. So Kiddushin, the bride is set apart. Uh, Nisuin, or uh, excuse me, Irusin was the other word. Yeah, Nisuin, thank you for reminding me. Nisuin from Naso. Is, uh, the bride is elevated uh, to the bridegroom's kupa, which you see is a really important uh, concept. <coughs> Kiddushin, remember, is initiated when the bride is given their ketuba. Remember, in ancient times, this all happened with the two parts happened over a period of months or years even. And, and depending on how the, how the arrangement was, a ketubah may have been something that was uh, uh, spoken about or arranged or whatever, but when the, when the male was finally old enough to make a, a, a guarantee, he had to be of age, to make a guarantee that he agreed, then the, kid, then the, uh, then the ketubah was taken to the bride's residence at her father's home. And was presented with the ketubah as the as the contract sealing the marriage. Were they married at that time? No. Yes. <laughs> so I will say, yeah. kind of married, but legally they're married. Why do I say that? Because he would have to give her a get if he wanted to back out. Them. So if he had changed his mind, he would have to have a get, even if she was found to be. Uh, uh, Unavailable, you know, she's already married or or some or with child, right? Not by him. That would be a grounds for a gap. He can't just walk away from it. He can't just say, "Well, look, you you violate this way we do contracts today, right?" You go, "Well, you violated your part. I don't have a part." Ah, no, no. You have to have, you have to have a get a divorce. You have to have so legally they're married, but they do not dwell together. Okay, they have shared property. Think about it for a moment. They have shared property from the moment to the sun. What property do they share? We read it to them. Isaac, you remember what? <laughs> <laughs> Was it anything that he owned? That's coming in the office. You buy it. <laughs> At least we didn't do it. Okay, so, so shared property, he guarantees. Not only does he guarantee. This is a great, this is an amazing thing you think about. I want you to recognize how profound the ketubah is in this, if you didn't get it already. That the, that the bridegroom signs the ketubah. Today we have the bride also sign it sometimes, but that was not part of the ancient ceremony. The ancient ceremony, only the bridegroom signed the ketubah. The ketubah became the bride's sole possession. She kept it with her. After he left, you know, prior to the Nisuin, you will see, right? But what uh, it's not just that the bridegroom promises, but it says all of his offspring and other relations <laughs> promise to fulfill. So what? So she'll be cared for and protected and provided for, even if the guy dies, because his family is stepping in to fulfill. Okay, and I want you to think about this for a minute. How many, how many people who are, how many people here are genetically Jewish? 
And I say genetically because I just, you know, that's the easiest way to say it. Genetic. Okay, at least, okay, one parent. Okay, uh, a grandparent. Well, you're marrying That's good, that's good. So we, we have, uh, what, we have 20 people here? 20 men? And no one can claim? Well, we all say, well, kind of. Ish, ish. But wait a minute. The ketuba that our master has given says that his relatives will pay. That makes us family. That makes us not just family. That makes us responsible. Skin in the game. Right? That's a powerful picture. Right there. Right there in the how did How did we figure it out on that? It's amazing. So, the Kiddushin is initiated when the bride's given her ketuba. It's a big ceremony. We all march over to the bride's home. It's very important that the bride go, bridegroom goes to the do, bride's domain. Okay? She's in her father's house when she's given ketuba. Okay? Nisuin is when the bridegroom goes to get the bride. Where does he take her? It's a rapture. <laughs> no. <laughs> Where does he take her? Back to his domain. Where's his domain? At least temporarily his father's house. Yeah. So it's a transfer of bride's not property. It's a transfer of, of domains. We move from the bride's domain, she goes to the bridegroom's domain. Okay? It's very important. And Kupa, he elevates her into his domain. Now, as you saw in, the, in, in, your, in your background of uh, this lesson, you saw that the chupa actually was a, in ancient times, was a representation of the house. It was a representation of the bridegroom's home. And the Jewish weddings you've seen, you've always understood that because the bridegroom is the center of attention. Uh, the bride's kind of like, oh, hi. Come up. <laughs> Come to the bridegroom's domain, right? Uh, the bridegroom's domain is the center of attention. It's what everybody's looking at. So the chupa is representing the house. That's why it's, it's veiled. It's the idea of walls, four walls. Okay? And the Nisuin now has eight steps. Now we kind of looked at the, the metaphorical view of the Nisuin last lesson. <laughs> now we're going to look at the practical steps. Do they have metaphorical value? Or do they have uh, conceptual value. Everything in the Bible has conceptual value. We were after we talked about that earlier. It's like but we don't stop the concepts. We live it first, and then the concepts become much easier for us to understand. But we don't stop living because that's the whole point. So you got to do the eight steps. You can't just understand. So if you didn't get married this way, tough luck. We don't keep kosher in our heart. We don't keep kosher in our heart. <laughs> well, we do, but we do it also with our mouths. <laughs> because to do anything otherwise would be salt and fresh water in the same mouth. Nikpah. The first step is nikpah. Immersion for the bride. Uh, notice it doesn't say immersion for the bridegroom. You know, in modern times, that, that's happening as well. But ancient times, is immersion for the bride. That was the focus. She's coming into his domain. She's coming into his domain. She has to be prepared. Okay? Zom, which is the bride and the bridegroom fast. I think 
You saw that in Revelation. Uh, fast from sunrise, from sunrise until after the chuppah, which is an important point. The veiling of the bride is Bedekin. Uh, Some of these words, by the way, are uh, Bedekin. Like, like to be killed, yeah. <laughs> which is why which is why we don't have the separation between Kiddushin Long time. and Nisim. It's because as a people, might not be around, people that have worshipped the one true God, as a people have been so systematically persecuted, even by people that we might theologically identify with, that they had to get married quickly to fulfill a commandment, knowing that their time would be changed. Pretty dramatic and sad. Kind of makes you kind of wonder about Paul's comment about times are tough, maybe you shouldn't be there. Better not to marry. What's up with that? The bride goes to the mikvah prior to the ceremony. What is she going to the mikvah for? Purification. Purification. Why? Because she's entering his domain. She's entering his domain, which is. Well, also, this is the first mikvah. Correct. So she's establishing a clean slate, and and Greg does such a great job in 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 setting up the parameters for family purity. Just yeah. awesome. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. But she's establishing a clean slate for okay. Now we're officially 
Did, did I hear that this would be her first mikvah? Yeah. Well, it, yeah, yeah. I mean, her first probably. She could have first required, yeah, first required, yeah. But it's like it's in the same sense that, like, for example, today Jewish men having mikvah as a way to remember the temple, they do it on like usually on Friday nights, right, or Friday afternoon. But like, I don't think halakhically it's required to mikvah today. But if there was a temple in place, and you're going to the temple, you would have to have a mikvah before you went into the temple environs. Same concept here. The bride, well, however unclean she may be up to that point, That's is right. really to a certain degree irrelevant. It only matters once she's married. So at that point, she has to be sanctified, she has to be cleansed. So it's actually kind of a cool picture of us in that, like, in day in the exile, it is important that maybe to remember it, we can, we can mark it, but the most important step really only happens later. We're not there yet, is the point. We're, yeah, there's no, there's no temple, but... It, don't don't just conceptualize this. Don't do that for king of these things, please. Don't just conceptualize this because the concept is cool. Ooh, isn't that neat? Uh, as the as we're going to see here in the scriptures, you know, as, as the bride, you know, washes his his uh, as the bridegroom washes his bride in the in the, in the washing of the water of the word, you know, that that's all fine and well, but let's not stop there because otherwise that's just a concept. You, the concept only becomes real when you do. What it says. Well, and, and not the only practical. The most practical here is that um, halakhically, a woman is not clean from the God until her mikvah. Doesn't matter how many days have passed. That's right. right. Which is only why, which is the other reason why this is required. Because right. Right. even though Sunset she is a nidah, even though she has not previously been married. That's right. Right. And but even even though at this point, most likely since the day before her wedding, she's probably not. Actually, the morning of. Or morning of. She is not in still in a state of nida as a physical experience, right? But but she is still impure. She's still she's still considered nida until she has her mikvah. Exactly. Uh, to be clear, and I don't want to belabor this, but to be clear, just so that if, if people aren't familiar with this practice, this happens privately. This is not a public immersion. Um, most immersions are very private. Um, this is not a public immersion. So she's being she's so she's she's going into the mikvah. With an attendant, and that's uh, well, witness. The attendant <laughs> is the witness. Somebody else officiates. Uh, you just the attendant's good enough. The attendant has good enough. Have two witnesses. You do not. Well, there, there are two. The other one is the woman herself. Oh, the woman herself. That's right. You got it. Exodus nineteen ten to fourteen. Somebody read it quickly for me. Thank you very much. So the Lord said to Moses, "Go to the people today and tomorrow. Separate them for me." Today and tomorrow, separate them for me by having them wash their clothing and prepare for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai before the eyes of all the people. You are to set limits for the people all around and say, Be careful not to go up on the mountain where you touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain will surely be put to death. No hand is to touch them, for he must be stoned or shot by arrows. Neither animal nor human will be allowed to live. When the shofar sounds, they may go up on the mountain. Not including, was that it? One There's one more about the Washington Clothing. Please do that. Moses went down from the mountain to the people and separated the people for God, and they washed their clothing. They washed their clothing. Rakats, uh, I believe, is the word there. So the word uh, mikvah is not found, or tebumba, uh, or none of those words. But the concept is, or practice is actually the same. It's washing the water. Um, the, the literal immersion here, uh, also, is something I didn't include in that passage. The same passage actually says, and men, and tell the men to stay away from their wives. 
for three days. Same deal. Uh, Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, we talked about it. Somebody read that for us, please. Okay. Please. <clears throat> Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might take by her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy without blemish. Okay, so. Now you can do this concept again. Isn't that a nice concept? What's the word? <laughs> I know a lot of people think they know what the word is. It's the word. It's good. It's right. It's holy. I don't step on it. I don't blaspheme the one who wrote it. Uh, I believe in the errant word. Mm-hmm. And that it is plenary verbal inspiration is part of the word. Right? Is that what's talking about? I have I have always thought of this as a husband's mandate to teach his bride the word of God, and that if I do I'm that daily, I'm doing. Word of God. <laughs> I, I would leave that to uh, Rob. Oof. <laughs> That's it. Separated by his commandments, the word is commandments. All of it. It's the commandment. It's like, you cannot wash your wife in the water of the word and not, and not give an example and promote obedience to the word. I mean, that's what it means. It's funny to me that the word has been so conceptualized, the word of God, that it means a Bible or whatever else, but that it doesn't mean that it requires any response on my part. That's what the word is. The word requires a response. John 13 through 15, Yeshua makes it very clear. If you're one of my disciples and I tell you to do something, you must. If you love me, but I guess if you don't love me, that's okay. So, the word is to obey. Makes his people separate and distinct by what? By what they do. That's it. By what they do. So, What's this mikvah look like? Wow. She's preparing herself. She's going into the mikvah to prepare herself for Nisuin. She's going to go to the kupa. Why? She's presenting herself as, I am your woman. That's profound. And in the non-politically correct language of, and I submit to you. I like the idea that it's specifically linked to her relationship with him. As you already noted, the mikvah is essentially meaningless without the temple. Well, well in, in our sense, but but technically the, the, the wedding, the mikvah is meaningless without the relationship with the person. She's not cleansing herself for her sake. She doesn't take the mikvah because she needs a mikvah. She's been nidah for years. She's taking the mikvah no downside. only so that she can be with her husband. That's right. So in the same sense, if you're linking this to the idea of obedience, um, then... It's working. If I link this to obedience, then our obedience is is not for our sake in the sense that it's like, well, I I need to do that. It makes me feel good to do good. But in the sense that it it is part of our creating the relationship with Hashem. Otherwise, it's really meaningless. I I like that. It actually... Creates relationship. 
She cannot have this relationship with this husband. She's had a ketubah for maybe a year or longer already. But she can't have a relationship with her husband, not the complete relationship until she goes with me. But that's... I thought it was all about me. Well, I, I, I think it, it gives us the other half of the equation. Um, you see the, the man providing the ketubah. What's she doing? Contracting and saying... Not only me, but my family is going to care for you. And and if I die before we even come together, you, you're my bride, and my I'm, brother will marry. And I'm taking yeah, what? Yeah. <laughs> but but you'll, you'll you'll be cared for. Um, and so this seems to be the other side of the coin of uh, I accept that I'm grateful for it. And, 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 here, and here's my response. Exactly. Very good. I think that's perfect. Yeah. I think seeing the mikvah as the wife's response, the bride's response, is, is completely right. Okay, that song, the fast. Now, frankly, <coughs> I fasted on my wedding day, but not. It's because I was a wuss. <laughs> Uh, I saw the, I saw all that stacked up against me and said, "Oh man, I can't live up to this responsibility." <laughs> hey, Neil, uh, I couldn't eat for days. Just fast one day. So this is a choice. It's a choice. Is it hard? Who's fasted on their wedding day? I didn't go all the way to the wedding. I made it to that. We didn't get married at 10 a.m. So. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 we missed breakfast. Uh, so <laughs> well, you know, we're not really thinking about it. You have so many other things coming to mind. So that's not really a big deal. It's a big deal. But you know you're doing it. That's the key. I mean, you know you're doing oh, it. Yeah, it's like, it's definitely you know you feel it. Yeah. And that's the point. The point is you're denying yourself for a specific reason. And it's not for the moment of being den- of denial. What's it for? It's, it's looking coming. forward yeah. to the Yehud where we end the fast together. That's yeah. really cool. So the wedding day is treated like a personal young people. How is it treated like a personal young people? What color do we wear? White. white. And it's not because the bride's dressed in white. It's not. Even if a bride shouldn't be dressed in white, on a Jewish wedding, she's dressed in white. Why? All sins. This is the most, apart from some future day, this is the most sacred of days for the bridegroom and bride. And that will say from experience, I don't know if this is true for everyone who's been married in this room, but I know for my wife and I, the getting married was like um, a clean slate, start, a, do, a start over, in a sense, even in the relationship. It's like... All of the problems, anything that has come up, the stress leading up to the wedding, any of the issues that come before then, everything is gone. It's like you you enter this new relationship, and Excellent. you're all you're both completely forgiven, not only to God but also to each other. It's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's a, and it was almost like instantaneous. It, it, it's really, I would say, it has to be supernatural because it doesn't make a whole lot of logical sense to me. You know, for those listening, probably don't know this. So, for those listening not here, there's. There are four men in this room, in this study, that actually have had a Jewish wedding just like we're describing. Fairly recently. Fairly recently. So this is like, this is like personal for y'all. It's like, I mean, these are things you already knew. 
which is the way that we're supposed to read scripture. For the other four men in the room <laughs> that uh, have been married for you know, 25, 30 plus years, um, most of us didn't know a lot of this when we got married. I was. I just. I just. Yeah. I mean, it's, he, we bring a ringer into the room here. But I was four when he got married. I know. You know. You know he's almost been married longer than I've been alive. It's a stocking thing. You know, for those for those listening at home, he's like ninety-seven years old, covered with white hair. But but seriously, um, even today, you know, I listened to Joshua uh, about the the breaking fast and the Yehud and, and all of that. And I, and I think to myself, I, I didn't have that. I didn't have that on my wedding. But even to this day, my wife and I will will go away somewhere and we'll have, you're about to go to, to Israel with your bride. Mm-hmm. And, and you're going to have a time there where it's together. And it's just you and she. And, you know, and, and it's set apart. And I know you know, you're like me. He's like me. It's those quiet, private times with your bride, where you you realize it's it's just us. Yeah. And and I can't. Yeah. And I can't imagine having a day so intense, so important, and then culminating with it's just you and me. We know this, so you'll know this too. may not have had it, but you kind of get an experience of it in watching your, your sons and daughters. Exactly. Exactly. And it's like... It's not the same thing. I, right? did, I didn't do it, but I just saw my daughter do it. Yeah. I saw my son do it. That kind of thing. God willing, maybe we'll see it. Grand, great grand theater, From your grand mouth theater. to God's ears. That's right. Okay, now, they, it's like a personal Yom Kippur. So, what's the Yom Kippur look like? Yeah, leatherless. No no I was wearing leather in my wedding day. Barefoot or wearing cloth. No jewelry. Men wear belts? No. no. Well, it's a string. You wanted to wear belts. The cool, the cool you did when you're... Yeah, that's right. Canvas works. Okay, yeah. What's the what's the bride what's the bridegroom wearing? It's a kittle. He's wearing a kittle. What's a kittle? Oh, Jewish samurai outfit. It's <laughs> <laughs> so cool. It's like, boom! Except it's got lace on it. What's up with it? Okay, so it's, uh, avoid the machine. Well, what is it? What's the kill? When do I wear the kill? My wedding and where else? Death. Passover. So what else? Death. Passover. I'm like a butcher, right? Yeah. He's buried in it. That's right. I'm like a I'm like a priest on Passover. I'm I'm the butcher. I'm the I'm the guy cutting the neck of the lamb, right? So, but I'm gonna be buried in. So, I mean, I have a kill. I have a kill to be buried. That's what I have. I mean, I wear a Passover, but I have to be buried. Amen. So, this is what, this is the first time that a bridegroom wears a kill. Because he's, he's been to Passover lots of time, but he hasn't been wearing a kill. Doesn't that, doesn't that lend credence to the until death do us part? That's right. I'm wearing the garment, this baby. Is what I'm wearing. This is what I'm wearing when I'm buried. He's right. The bride is wearing no jewelry. Let me, let me say this without giving it too much away. How is she adorned? Not. She's not adorned. She's 
So, somebody go to 19, Revelation 19, 7 through 8. Not the same people, please. Got it. Thank you. Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. And the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Wow. So what's she wearing? Simple white. That's it. Simple white. Why? Because what could be more glorious than plain deeds of the righteous? And that reminds me of Proverbs 31. That false is great and it is beauty, but a God-fearing woman. So right. should do right. Of course, I always utter in my breath <laughs> but it also again harkens back to young before because you have the high priest sorry, who has these you know beautiful garments he takes off garments and before he goes into the holy of holies he takes off all that puts on, puts on a kittle and then goes before the breastplate the the crown you know are taken off. Jewels. He's jewels, everything. He's just wearing plain white tunic or a kill to go into the holy home. It's almost like the it's almost like the priestly garments and the, the crown and the, the breastplate. breastplate and everything are really representing God's glory and magnificence to the people. But when he goes before God, when he goes before Hashem, it's just plain simple. I saw the same picture of Moses come when Moses would speak with God, he'd come out, he'd show the people, see my face is glowing. I've been speaking with the Almighty. And they would fall down in their face. And uh, when he'd then walk around the rest of the time, he'd cover his face because he hasn't been talking to God. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Excellent. So, she's adorned simply in white. He is as well. Very important to remember. He's adorned in simple white as well. The Badekin, the veiling. The bridegroom personally veils the bride. Her beauty is solely reserved for him. Now, I know we got some history here. We don't want to talk about, oh no, we can't switch we can't switch girls on us while I'm not looking. <laughs> okay. But that's not that's not the whole story. That's a nice little that's a nice nice little anecdote. That's a wise. That's a wise. <laughs> not an old wise. That's a wise. The real reason is that she's solely reserved for him. Go to Revelation 19, 17 through 19. Someone else read, please. Exodus. Exodus, excuse me. The other Exodus. Then Moshe brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because Adonai had descended on it on Adam and I had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moshe spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So, God identifies his bride, the people. There they are. Come before me. And, and uh, he recognizes them, and then the whole scene is cloak in the smoke from the mountain. She's reserved only for him. But Deccan, I just looked up, is in fact Yiddish. Yiddish. And it means covering. Covering. The Deccans, 
It's a cool word, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> really cool. It's a cool word, but I'll be the decade. Okay, let's not profane the word. Another important thing about the veiling is if you've done the tradition, you have not seen your very good for the week before. For the week before, which um, if you think about like the think. Uh, uh, going again symbolically. This is practical, by the way. The practical element of this is that <laughs> Why we have to if you if you've uh, <laughs> you've enjoyed if you enjoy you know, how wonderful your wife looks, go a whole week without seeing her and oh my goodness, it's the greatest thing you've ever seen in your life. So you come in and you're we have a picture of you. And yeah. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> I see my father in law said you can see the smile from the back of my head. <laughs> also there was light in the back of his head. What's up with that? I'm looking through my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, that's the um, so that's the joy that you get there. But you think about it symbolically, what what happens in the situation we're in today. We are in the exile. We are separated from our bridegroom. Yeah. We don't see each other for a long time. And then, when he returns on the wedding day, when he comes to get us, that will be a time of great joy. Okay, the Kuba. The Kuba is the bridegroom's domain. The bridegroom is led to the Kuba first. The bride joins him in his domain when she walks around him seven times. This is one of the required elements. If nothing else happens, God to have a Why? This is like the center of attention. This is the point. She comes into his domain. There's been a transfer of, it's not property, but as if a transfer of property. <coughs> Ownership. Transfer of authority. Change. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's probably the better way to say it. A transfer of authority. Okay. She's no longer her father under her father's house. She's under her husband's house now. And the hoop is where it happens. And how does it start? She walks around in seven times. What's up with that? What's the seven times? What are we supposed to remember? Now, bridegrooms that have done this, what did you think about other than, whoa, look at her walking around me seven times. What were you supposed to be thinking about? Prairie. Praying. Prairie. Prairie. Praying. Prairie. You wrap the villain. You know, every weekday morning you wrap the villain. You know, you know, I betrothed you to me forever. I betrothed you to me in righteousness, justice, kindness, mercy. I betrothed you to me with faithfulness. You know these words. And now she's saying that to you. And these are the words that you say to him every morning. So what's this moment for the bridegroom? The closest this side of the world to come that you will ever be to the Almighty. That's why people slip prayers to the bridegroom. And he says, I'm sorry, I'll be praying on my own. Thank you very much. <laughs> I got way too much of my mind to be praying your stuff. But people want some special favor. Because there he is. He's standing in front of the Almighty. While she's walking around him. It says, any request that he makes. Kind of reminds me of another thing. Another promise. If you pray in my name. Ask anything. Anything you ask. Why? Because you're my bride. You're betrothed to me. You're walking around me seven times. 
anything you want. It's pretty cool. Let's go to Nehemiah 11. I got it. 13, thank you. And he divided the sea before them, so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. And you cast their pursuers in the depths, as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night, to light for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai, and spoke with them from heaven, and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes, and commandments. It's his domain. Sinai is his domain. And so what do we see? We see him bring his domain into these three dimensions. And the coolest kupa that's ever existed, <laughs> a cloud of by day and a cloud of fire by pillar of fire by night, that's a kupa. Have you all seen the various paintings like from, uh, I know from uh, Temple Institute has the one where the pillar goes up and it's like a mushroom cloud. <laughs> I believe that's precisely correct, the way it's described. Because he describes it as being a shade for them. It's like, you know, the sun's beating down on us for 40 years. No, we never saw that. You know, we walked out to get firewood. Yeah. But other than that, the sun was not beating on us. What, you think this lily white skin came from nothing? <laughs> Uh, Exodus 19, verse 16, on the third day when it was morning, there was thunder and lightning and a heavy cloud on the mountain. That's right. So that cloud comes down. Picture, it's a picture of the, of the, the Hooper. Absolutely. So, Isaiah 4, 5 through 6 tells us that that's not just a past experience that we're going to get to see this this same thing played out, but multiply. Okay. Thank you. When my Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and from Jerusalem's midst has, uh, has rinsed out her infamy in a spirit of judgment and a spirit of purging. The Lord will create over the whole shrine and the meeting place of Mount Zion, cloud by day, and smoke with a glow of flaming fire by night. Indeed, over all the glory sh shall hang a canopy, which, sh which shall serve as a pavilion for shade from heat by day, and a shelter for protection against the drenching rain. Wow. You got something different in English? Well, it, it's different in my version. What version is that? This is JPS. Ah. See, we read Hebrew Bible, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, here, let me just set this picture for you. Here's, here's Jerusalem. If you've seen Jerusalem, you can see it. Hilly, right? Lots of houses. About 750,000 people live right now. Pretty tightly packed. Small area. Over every house, a pillar of fire and over every house, a cloud. Not one giant one. One over every house. Wow, man, that's like, whoa. That's like, we're talking hoopa hoopa. <laughs> Major hoopa. Hoopin. <laughs> so it's a yet future hoopa. The literal bridegroom's sheltering over Jerusalem. That's cool. We don't need Iron Dome. <laughs> it's as if Messiah is saying, I got this. <laughs> Nothing's getting through this. Hosea 2, 19 through 20. Got it. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and in justice, in love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge Adonai. There's a man who plays the villain. He's telling me, no, no, it's not when you rap, it's when you do the thing. We rap seven times, but after we put on 
the head piece. Then we finish wrapping the finger. What do we wrap? What fingers do we wrap around? The ring fingers. Well, not the modern American ring fingers, but the ring fingers. Right? The two fingers together. And while we're saying it, this is what we quote. Amen. I do it in English. I don't know if you do it in Hebrew. That's great if you do it in Hebrew. I do it in English because that's my native language, and it means a lot to me to hear those words. These seven circles, seven wraps, seven declarations of God's love for us. Jeremiah 31, 22. Yeah. How long will you waver, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing on the earth, a woman who circles a man. Hmm. Woman circles a man. It's like, everybody's like, what's happening? It's like, that's, well, it's like, it's like giving birth? What's up with that? <laughs> no, it's this. I mean, come on. It's like, how hard is this? I mean, you can read the Bible dictionaries. This is a really deep thing. No, it's not. It's just strapping to fill it, man. <laughs> or it's a wedding. The new thing is reversed each weekday. Every weekday, this is rehearsed. It's, it's a new thing? Yeah, because I get to see it now. Illustrated by each bride walking around her bridegroom seven times. In the future is manifested in the bridegroom's oath to us, his people. Praise God. Ketubah. The ketubah is read and witnesses are identified. Remember, they can't, be, they can't be related to each other or to either party. They have to be valid witnesses. Is something that's missing from a lot of discussion of two or three witnesses. It's not, if you have two, that's, a, that's good, but if you have three, that's better. <laughs> it's the way that the witnesses have to be validated. The witnesses have to witness each other, witnessing the event. And they have to have no familiar relationship or under-the-table relationship that can be validated by other witnesses, another witness or witnesses. So, who are the witnesses? Exodus 19, 24 through 20, verse 2. Is that a lot of verses? Okay. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, dude. Alright. And Adonai said to him, Go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to Adonai, lest he break out against them. So Moshe went down to the people and told them. And God spoke these words, saying, I am Adonai your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall not you shall have no other gods before me. And You're done. Yeah. Are these valid witnesses today? Well the fact that they were related, related to, to each other. other doesn't seem to matter. Okay. How about related to Either part. Well, they're related to the people. Moses and Aaron seem to be, as you've already seen as you read the Torah, other seem to than. be other than. Aaron does some pretty sketchy, well, let me rephrase that. Aaron appears to do some pretty sketchy stuff that it appears he gets a buy on. Even Miriam doesn't get a buy on. Right? Somehow Aaron and, and Moshe are, and you are very special. Somehow Aaron and Moshe are, you know, somehow unique. So, yes, they are valid witnesses because these are the two witnesses that are there. The ketubah is given. What's the ketubah? Hashem says, What? 
I will be your God and you will be my people. That's it. That's his declaration. That's his guarantee. You are a treasured nation to me. I will be your God and you will be my people. Or you will be my people, I will be your God. We, we speak of the Torah and specifically the ten words as the Ketubah. But I think that's probably trying to cram it too close. The Ketubah is the bridegroom's promise to the bride. It's a one-way covenant. It's a one-way covenant. And as we saw at Sinai, her response, all that he has said we will do, is the equivalent to preparing herself for the wedding day or what, or agreeing to the ketubah or whatever else. The point is, because the bride has to agree to the ketubah, right? God can't just show up and say, hey, me and my dad are here, I'm signing this over, you're going to be my bride. Just go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not ready to do that. She has to agree. She doesn't sign anything, but she has to agree. Well, in the same regard, Israel agreed. All you said will do. But the ketubah, I believe, is actually the words that he says. You will be my God, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. The Torah appears to be more the house rules. House rules. This is the way you're going to behave while we're yeah. apart here. Exactly. Or when we're together, you're going to behave this way. It kind of reminds me almost more of the modern Tanaim. It is. Much like the Tanaim, because the Tanaim, as we talked about two lessons ago, the Tanaim actually kind of sets the ground rules for how the betrothal is going to be. Uh, I'm going to pay for this and pay for that. Uh, your family's going to pay for this, my family's going to pay for that. And it can also include, or at least ours did, include like, you know, how the life is, no, no, how the how our life together is going to look. Yeah. I'll give you some clothes and some food. No, actually, that's what you do. That's true. But no, I mean, things like, you know, how, how you know, like, kind of, um, in the declarations of the way that our house is going gonna, is gonna to function. Pizza night's on Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Shana Brachot, seven blessings. This is another one of those ones that has to happen. We're going to do a short version. You've got to have a blue book. You've got to have a show of a There's a bell. Yeah. That's kind of like, okay, you go, go, go. Run for your life. It's time for your food. Get in the real car. You're running away. Shadow Rakot and the Kupa are the most important parts of this swing. The Shadow Rakot reveal deep insights into the relationship between Hashem and his people. For that reason, we will not go deeply into them because we're setting aside a whole lesson of time. In Eshkakek, if I forget. We, we, had, a, we had an opportunity um, at my middle son's wedding to, he wanted to have this, even though he was having a traditional Christian wedding, he wanted to make sure that this was included in his, in his uh, ceremony. Um, and, and I thought it was absolutely appropriate. But what was interesting to me was hearing the seminary professor describe what this is about. Those of you there, you're like, <laughs> okay, our lives are fragile. Like glass. Yeah, like glass. <laughs> um, not, not to be dismissive because he was doing a great job of trying to trying to thread the needle and walk two, two, uh, two paths at once. And I applauded for that. But the point here is that that's not what this is about. This is not a declaration of fragile lives. Some people might want to couch it in those terms because they're uncomfortable with the implications. He would not have been, oh, she would have 
heard the real reason because I think he would appreciate it. But he would not have been un- un- uncomfortable with it. But some people, even modern Judaism, would be very comfortable with what this really means. Because for them, the exile is fine. Mm. We're all okay with the exile. Mashiach, Messiah? Yeah. It ain't happening. Just enough to have, you know, a little bit of Yiddish in your life and, you know, Shabbat candle sometimes and, you know, we'll do Passover as a thing. One of the saddest thing I think, when you have these exile religious communities where you don't even need to go to Jerusalem to have all of the everything. trappings that everything. you get there. Yeah, everything. In fact, on, on that note, um, I heard uh, Rabbi Hein Richman at the Temple Institute uh, give a testimony something that happened to him. He was traveling, doing a speaking tour in the States this was a couple of years ago, and it was in uh, January. And he finished the tour, and he, fl- he flown, he and his wife had flown to New York and were getting ready to um, go back to Tel Aviv. And that's when one of the big storms came in and shut down the airport, so they were stranded at Newark Airport. It was a Thursday. They spent the night in the airport. Friday, plane, everything still shut down, so she she calls her brother who lives in Crown Heights. Hey, we're stuck here. Can we spend Shabbat with you? Sure. So they make it to Crown Heights to spend Shabbat with her brother and his family in Crown Heights. Before uh, uh, Shabbat started, uh, Rabbi Chaim and his brother-in-law went to the store to pick up some things for the Sabbath and whatnot. And you hear the story, to hear Rabbi Chaim tell the story, and he said he walks into this like super Walmart-sized... Uh, store, but everything in there is, you know, is glock kosher. There's all this, you know, you know there's all this Yiddish kite music playing. Everybody's happy, you know, gourmet, everything you could imagine, but it's all kosher. Everything you need is there, you know. And he, he walked in the store and he stood there in the middle of the store, he's looking around and he starts crying. And his brother in law says, Are you okay? What's, what's wrong? You know, or just, you know, you feel bad or whatever. And, He's just sobbing in the middle of the store. And he, he said, he, he looked at his brother and he said, this is not right. The, the exile should not be this easy. He, he was basically saying, it's easier for you to be Jewish here in Crown Heights, New York, than it is for me to be Jewish. That's a true statement. That's a true statement. That is an absolute true statement. So, very sad. And not that, not that people shouldn't love being Jewish in Crown Heights. Sure. There ought to be but there's no reason for them to ever give that up. Right. Exactly. Right. We, we have a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi friend of this community, who says that the most difficult group to which he speaks are the Orthodox communities in America. Because they do not want to hear that message of Zionism. They do not want to hear that message of we need to go to the land he gave us that he promised us. It's there and we're waiting on you. They're comfortable. They're very, very comfortable. There's no reason for them to leave. Unfortunately, this is our history. I mean, we've just been our history all for the endurance of, of, you know, the time of man on earth. There's only 42,000 of us in change that came back from Babylon. That's right. That's right. It's pretty sad. Because the Messianic age is revealed as a time of rejoicing for bride and bridegroom, this particular wedding must be understood as not that one. That's why we do this. I, if I forget you, it's because 
in the moment of in this moment of intense joy, not just for people around, but especially for the bride and the bridegroom. Everybody's supposed to remember because weddings have a unique ability to identify the coming of Messiah as a prophetic statement. We have to all be very clear this one ain't it. That's pretty amazing when you think about it. Every wedding of anybody that even has a semblance of understanding who Yeshua is should do this. Because everybody ought to say, look, this is a happy day, but this is not it. Don't want to be a poser. This is not the day. We are not pretending to be mm. the bridegroom and the bride. Because that is a unique prophetic event the scriptures speak of. In fact, the whole Bible speaks of, which is why we're doing this study. Why God couched it in the language of the bridegroom is because he wants to speak something prophetically. So this is an important thing that we pause and say, this one isn't it. That's why we weep. I've done this a couple of times now. Um, Gentiles don't get this. Yeah, Gentiles don't get this. Um, from an anti-Semitic, gosh, I didn't. I wish I didn't have to say. Many of my relatives have that bent, but they don't get this. Um, it, it it's it's surprising to me. But no matter how we've tried to couch it, it does not come off as Shabbat is important to us because it's a rehearsal of the Messianic age. That's why we don't pray for the sick normally on Shabbat. That's why that's why we don't ask for forgiveness for our sins on Shabbat because it's a it's a rehearsal, if you will, of the messianic age. Here we've got in the midst of this joy, and this is the greatest day my daughter will ever have, and and we're stopping and playing this sad song, mashing a glass, whatever it may be, and. It comes off as strictly Jewish, and, it is. and this and this and this stuff doesn't come through. Yeah. And, and I, I, well, I, I, right. I mean, also, actually, it's all right. Honestly, it is. It is because this is one of the things that maybe this is this is uh, maybe this should remain inside information. Maybe this should be yes. no casting it's of pearls before swine. Yeah. Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's for the family. You know, if you don't get it, fine. We don't really care because this is one of the things. We know what this means. Yeah. And, and it's very Jewish in the sense that this is the one uh, piece that separates, our, that, that makes the marriage bigger than just the two people. Right. Because this is saying, you know, this isn't just about us. This is about us trying to bring into, into you know, that we would, that God would bless us. Bring the redemption. Exactly. That we should marry to, to you know, see Messiah return. Absolutely. And our marriage, our family is going to try to be the harbinger of that. That's right. Not only to picture it, as we all might say, but to actually Enhance it. bring it. Bring it on. May my sons and grandsons and granddaughters hasten the day. Hasten the coming of Messiah. I mean, it's a scriptural mandate that we hasten the coming of Messiah. How can you do it? So, go to Psalms 137, 4-6. This is the psalm as we sing. Or, you know, there's many different tunes. Not all the tunes are, are, are dirge-sounding. But if you know the words, they should bring tears to your eyes. 
So let's say them. So let's read them. Someone read them. Yeah, I got it. Do I have to sing it or read it? You can sing it if you like. You can sing it if you like or you can read it. If you sing it, you have to do it either, though. If I sang it, it would bring tears to your eyes. <laughs> How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Amen. Who's saying that in that song? In that song, who's speaking to you? Who do think speaking? Well, David's speaking, yeah, that's the Psalm 137, the Psalm of David, right? I think it's, I think it's the people. Who's the actual person speaking? I'll tell you what I think. I think it's it's collectively everyone, but I think it's first spoken by God. If I forget you. You know, it's funny also, um, what I just talked about is today, it's really in a, about... Um, Jerusalem is a really funny way of getting inside of you. And, you know, even if you go... Literally. <laughs> even if you go and you come It's a little dusty sometimes. <laughs> you go, you have a good time, you, you enjoy the city, you enjoy God's presence being felt there. You come home. Sometimes you can... I mean, for me, I even went on a little period of time where I was like, yeah, I'm okay being in the U.S. But after a while, it's like, you just get drawn back. It's like, I can't let it go. It's like there's this, there's this need to be in God's city. And it's because the city itself, God has promised, he says, his eye yet rests upon it. And it is the, um, it's like the heart of his people. I mean, have you ever, anyone, anyone there, Eric and you look up on the internet sometimes, um, Jerusalem Day in Israel. It's a day that they celebrate the reunification of the city in the 67 war. It's incredible. You got all these yeshiva kids running down the middle of the street with Israeli flags and parade. You've got all these uh, um, Orthodox Jews. They have basically a, a, a religious dance party in front of the Western Wall, and they separate the guys. The Western yeah, Wall. they separate the guys <laughs> and girls, and the guys are going crazy. All these guys in their black hats and their peyote, you know, or their kippahs and whatever else, and they're um, they're dancing and they're celebrating because they have the city again, Jerusalem is very much at the center of God's people. Uh, I, I got on an elevator yesterday morning in New York City, and uh, the guy got on an elevator after me, and I was in, I was in uniform, and he said, uh, so where are you going today? He said, I'm going to Dallas. He goes, is that your home? He goes, no, I'm going to Charlotte, too. Is that your home? And I thought for a minute, I almost said yes, and I thought for a minute, I go, no, not really. And that's really the way I feel. I mean, it's it seems a little bit. Yeah, it's my home away from home. Yeah, it's my home <laughs> exile, whatever else. I don't know if you go to if you go to my Facebook page and if you look me up, it says where my home is. It says actually it gives it gives lat longs, and so lat longs for the hotel. That's my home. I, I can tell you that as as a military man, as a veteran, um, now in the Torah walk, that's been a difficult thing for me. To, to, yeah, to be to be amazingly patriotic, over the top, yeah. willing to fight, willing to die. Of course, Absolutely. and and then and coming to the realization that, well, that's all well and good. Yeah, but this 
this is not my home. Now, now this this pie in the sky quote about Abraham looking for and and hastening a, a city a whose city. builders, a uh, city. Uh, you know, uh, whose was whose builders are not made with his walls are not made with hands. Whose maker is God? Whose maker is God? I mean, yeah, I mean, who's that? It, it makes you really and it, as Joshua said, if you've been to to Jerusalem. It's extraordinary. It, I, it gets in you. I love those walls. So magnificent. Did a magnificent job. Have you ever had a chance to walk the walls? You know, on the top of the ramparts? Yeah. Whoa. That's just like amazing. Yeah. I'm walking on the walls of Jerusalem. That's just so cool. Yeah. Okay, I have a video of you saying, walking on the walls. Four years old. Yeah, that's right. But the point is, so those are not out the walls. Those right. are some good walls for now, and there's gates. Those are good gates, but those aren't the gates. We're talking about walls that are coming. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah 9, uh, 16, 9, and 33, 7 through 16. Uh, it's divided up. Somebody take the first one, somebody take the second. The first one's sad. I got the second. Yeah, no one else first one? <laughs> <laughs> somebody read the sad person. I got it. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will silence in this place, before your eyes and in your days, the voice of mirth, and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride. This is why we weep at this moment in the way. Yeah. And now let's read the, why we rejoice. And I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel, and I will, and I will rebuild them as a whole. I will purge them of all the sins which they committed against me, and I will pardon all the sins which, which they committed against me. By which they rebelled against me. And she shall gain through me renown, joy, fame, and glory above all the nations on earth. And they will hear of all the good fortune I provided for them. And they will thrill and quiver because of all the good fortune and all the prosperity that I have provided for her. Thus said the Lord, again there shall be heard in this place, which you say is ruined, without man or beast, in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem, that are desolate, without man, without inhabitants, without beast. The sound of mirth and gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride. The voice of those who cry and give thanks to the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Lord is good, his kindness is everlasting. And as they bring thanksgiving <coughs> to the house of, of the Lord, uh, and, uh, and uh, those will be heard as they bring thanksgiving offerings to the house of the Lord. For I will restore the fortunes of the lands as a whole, said the Lord. Thus said the Lord, God of hosts, in this ruined place without man and beast, and in its towns they shall again be a pasture for shepherds, where they can rest their flocks. And in the towns and the hill country, in the towns of the of Shephelah, in the towns of the Negev, in the land of Benjamin, and in the environs of J- J- uh, Jerusalem, and in the towns of Judah, sheep will pass again into the hands of one who counts them. See, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made concerning the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will raise up the true branch of David's line, and he shall do what is just and what is right in the land. And those days Judah shall be delivered, and Israel shall dwell secure. And this is what shall be called the Lord is our vindicator. Amen. I told you before there's a there's a, overlooking the overlooking the uh, kid, uh, not the Kidron Valley, but the uh, Salt's Pool there. What's that? Valley? Anyway, it's just above the Kidron uh, uh, Valley there. Um, on outside the walls of the old city, there is a there are platforms built at Yemin Moshe there that are built specifically for weddings, and there's weddings like all the time there, and it's like it's like 
Jewish people in, in Israel today are constantly rehearsing this and remembering this isn't it. Why? Why isn't this one it? Well, look what which passage is that? Jeremiah 33. We're, we're, we're following the discussion of the new covenant. Oh, I'm sorry. That isn't yet either. This is a future event. All of it is a future event. We have tastes. We can see. We can identify. That's why we are talking about the language of the writer. We can identify this future event. It has a specific look. And this is the look. That's why we have to be careful that we remind each other that this isn't it. It's coming. You say, Rick, what? I don't want to get too much off the tangent here, but... What what is is it just an, take that. is it just an anti-Semitic thing about why the church is just yes. kind of Absolutely. is that all it is? I mean, Absolutely. I mean, because you know, even you know, because I'm I'm getting involved in this more and more, but you know, it's you know, I was raised streets so of gold so and jewels and crowns and dancing and all, all that, that in Jerusalem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, what I'm saying it's, it's it's the location that's all. The location's the issue. Here's let me tell you something. It, it is absolute. I can I can prove it to you. Historically, we can go back and we can read the letters that the Antinocene fathers wrote where this theology was developed, and it's purely anti-Semitic. They despise Jerusalem and everything Jewish, and they say it openly that God has rejected this people and their, their profane city that lies in ruins. It ought to be in ruins. They crucified the Christ. I mean, that's it's pure, it's just... When you read it, you're, it's nauseating to read. It's remarkable to me that any theologians, any scholars can read it and not recognize it as just blatant hate. Because it is. And it's interesting that uh, in Hennig, you just read that verse in there where it says, when God restores the Jerusalem's fortunes, when God restores the people, that the world will see and quiver. And um, it seems to be the case over and over again in history. Whenever the Jewish people find success, it, it's a disturbing thing to the world. And so today, the fact that Israel controls Jerusalem is apparently the cause of all the misfortune in the entire planet. All of world peace is hinging on the fact that Israel has not handed over half the city to the Palestinians. That's right. You know, and we, what we read, 137 murders. Uh, Israel released 137 murders, and Obama's response was, yeah, but you shouldn't be building in Judea. It's like, excuse me? Well, and it was really interesting. I mean, you talk about, um, um, some of, you know, I think, some of the anti-Semitism at the core, and certainly um, anti-Israelism at the surface. Uh, this past year, on Tishba Av, the Sabbath day of the Israeli calendar, the um, European Union announced that they would be putting sanctions on Israel for the territory that they are building on or they own that they say isn't theirs, which includes East Jerusalem, where the Kotel is located. Which is really, if you know the history, the territory the Palestinians claim is not just half Jerusalem. It is the Jerusalem. It is David's city. Actually, 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 it's even worse than that. Because the the 1949 borders are what the United States is declaring, unfortunately. Which includes, excludes Jerusalem. All of it. Yad Vashem, of all places. Yad Vashem, the Holocaust memorial would be excluded from the proposal that the Obama administration currently has for selling peace. The 
just yesterday on the Israel National, National News, you probably saw this article, Joshua. Um, the Palestinian Authority uh, was promoting, publicly, openly promoting the idea of, I think in the in Arabic they refer to it as al Burqah or Burqah, something like that. But it's it's the it's the Arabic word for the Kotel. And they're promoting this idea that the Kotel has nothing to do with Judaism, that it also is a holy Islamic site. And, yeah, you know, it's like... And it's a holy Islamic site because Muhammad supposedly tied his flying horse to it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really not joking. That really no, is that's, 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 that's why but and, and they go out of their way to try to, to try to through propaganda to try to separate any connection to Jerusalem or the land with the Jewish people. But yet it's like, okay, look, we can take a, a, a two-hour drive south to Masada, and I think history is quite clear. Quite there clear. were only Jews defending the land against the Romans. If this was your land, why weren't you there defending against exactly right? And, and I think yeah. that's where was you want. But this yeah. is where I think, this, <laughs> and I think that all of this is what comes back to what we just talked about. Inish ahead. I think it is so cool that in a world, and I think it speaks volumes about where where we are, because in a world where Jerusalem is is excluded, where it's ignored at best and despised at worst. Um, it is the people of God who set aside time from their weddings to remember the fact that Jerusalem has not been restored to its full glory by God. Amen. You know, when we, when we said, you know, Yeshua said pray for the peace of Jerusalem. The Psalms said pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, it's a command. It's remarkable to me that every Christian doesn't pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's like, who? What, what Jerusalem? Which what, Jerusalem? It's like, I'm sorry, there's only one Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem, Texas. Say one more thing. It's like, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're born in Jerusalem, if you're born in Jerusalem, in an Israeli hospital today, and you're an American citizen, you know what your passport says? It doesn't say Jerusalem. Tell me. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. It really is. And what we need to do is, we need to know that when we side, not with just Jewish people, but Jewish people in Jerusalem, we we get a special anointing. Amen. Because every time somebody picks on Israel, they seem to, Israel seems to go up and they seem to go down. The Israeli economy is not in a slump, unlike the rest of the world. They're like in a boom right now. And it's like as much as America disses Israel, we go down, they get something out of it. It's the most remarkable thing. I've read that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> the prophet is clear. He said Jerusalem will be burdensome stone, mm-hmm. which is to say, it, it's like a millstone around, around their necks, around right. the necks of all the nations of the world, and it will drag them to their knees. I hold it above my eyes. It's not a millstone at all. Mm-hmm. It's not burdensome. It's marvelous. Yehud. Seclusion and unity. Yehud comes from the same root as Echad, and refer, it refers not only to seclusion but unity. And that's why people say, "Well, they're secluded. They're they've gone away. They have two guards guarding the door while they while they're breaking the fast." That's what they break the fast. But it's unity. This is this in seclusion they break their fast together. The bride blesses her husband. I want to read this to you. 
May you merit to have a long... This is the bride speaking. Now, I want you... If you're not a bride, this may not work, so... <laughs> it's all made up. Uh, if you're not a bride, this doesn't work. So, I want you to imagine this is the people of God speaking to their bridegroom. May you merit to have a long life. May you unite with me in love from now until eternity. May I merit to dwell with you forever. And then she goes on. Very cool. Revelation 21, 24. Let's read it. I got it. As we can see, all these pictures in this Then I saw the new, a new heaven and a new earth for the first time, and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. The fast is over. She's adorned for her husband. And now he will dwell with her just as she's asked him to before. Very cool. So, in summary. Miss Ween shows how the bride is elevated to a dwelling companion for the bridegroom. She's elevated. She is not worthy until... Um, I'm not saying the bridegroom the mother, but is he? He's not either. But the point is, in the, in the picture that's being shown, the bride, the people are not worthy. She's, they're elevated. They're brought to that position. They're brought up to his domain. Brought up to his domain, by the way, if you want to know brought up. We're all going to rise. You know that, right? I'm not just talking about from the dead. I'm talking about, well, I'm going to rise. Right? Because Jerusalem. everyone always goes up. Anywhere you are in Israel, you have to go up. Aliyah. You have to Aliyah. And it, and it will become physically the highest point on the planet. That's right. That's cool. <laughs> Everest will <laughs> Each step speaks practically and, and prophetically. Just as Kiddushin points back to Sinai and the covenant. Now we talked about this, it's been two lessons ago, we talked about this, and I was like, wow, what is all this about? It's like, it's prophetic, but what's the point of having the two parts or whatever else? And we saw that the two parts actually had a very important role. The Kiddushin is Sinai. We're set apart. How are we set apart? We're not set apart because we all have the same creed. We're not set apart because we're Americans or Indonesians. Right? We're not set apart by joining a church or a synagogue. We're set apart by the Ketubah. The covenant's been made, Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and Jacob, and so also with his people, points to the future. And this wing points to the future of it. So, we don't just have this guarantee, a ketubah. He said he's my husband. He said he's our God. We actually have him dwelling with us in unity. That's, that is, that is the We're elevated. That's it. We, we're in his domain. And where is that domain again? The city? Jerusalem. It's going to be a big place. It is. It's going to be a big place. 
And to Jerusalem, now pray with me, please. And to Jerusalem, your city, may you return in compassion. And may you rest within it as you have spoken. May you rebuild it soon in our days as an eternal structure. And may you speedily establish the throne of David within it. Blessed are you, Adonai, builder of Jerusalem. Amen. 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 Thank you, Rick.